Hello, and again, welcome to BitDev. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Armon, or Ex Machina. Sweet. Uh, first of all, who are you in the, you know, the that kind of sense, not just say your name again? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's, uh, let's just say that I am a producer that enjoys creating music for art instead of creating for money or experiences rather it's just uh well i would say i create for experiences but more of on the artistic side you know very experimental but also um have structure so yeah i mean just a producer i would say i make beats beat beat farmer Mm -hmm. (laughs) audio engineer um yeah let's just start there i suppose uh then how did you first get started in making music. Uh, okay. So in 2013 is when I actually got my first taste of producing professionally. Uh, when I say professionally, I mean by actually sitting down and writing something. Mm-hmm. I think it takes a lot of energy to produce something. So I actually started in 2011. It was my first time ever touching anything. And it was FL Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I produced for maybe two days and I couldn't, couldn't handle it. I'll be honest. Like when I first started YouTube university was just becoming a thing. Yeah. Everybody was kind of getting into just different things and because of the internet booming. And this obviously is like a while after the internet started, but YouTube started to get pretty big. And I literally just started watching videos on, um, just electronic music and just getting exposed to just different kinds of sounds. And this was actually before Spotify, I feel like. Uh, So around that time, I was just exploring YouTube and really just picking up cassettes and tapes and CDs and whatever, just to listen uh, to music. But really, though, when I started in 2013 was the first time, and this was after graduation, I was like, dude, I just need to do something with my life. Uh, At this time, I was finishing film school or my two year film school thing. And literally during that time, everybody was creating awesome videos, but everybody's audio sucked. It was, it was just so bad. And I was like, dude, what is, why is everybody's audio so trash? (laughs) And that, that brought me down in this crazy rabbit hole of engineering and learning the software. And so that's when I invested into logic Mm -hmm. and that's when I started to avidly produce, uh, more music every, every, every day I would spend maybe like six hours, seven hours learning from YouTube, just trying to apply that knowledge. And I'm surprised that I still have all of the hair on my head. Uh, (laughs) it's crazy, but, um, it was, it was probably some of the toughest moments of my production career, obviously. And I actually remember that same feeling when I just started to get into 3D 3D design mm-hmm. and just staring at all of the buttons and the things that you can do. I was like, dude, I can't do this. So I had to stop. And so really music for me at that time was more so of like, I just want to produce something and be in that limelight kind of thing. Um, this was also when I experienced my first electronic show ever uh, in 2013. Was it, it? Uh, it's Thomas Gold. And uh, it was another artist and it was for the show Life in Color. It was like a paint party that, um, electronic music and they shoot paint at you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was so sick, but, uh, that was the first time that I ever experienced anything like that, that kind of sound in general. 
at a venue and at that scale to me was insane. I, I just turned 18 uh, at the time, I believe. Yeah, because I'm 27 now. So yeah, I, I just turned 18. Yeah, hey, there you go. But yeah, I mean, if, to me at that time, that moment, I felt like defined what I truly wanted. And it's very hard for people to find their passion, but I didn't think it was my passion until a few years after really struggling mm. after that point. So like 2013, I started and then I produced avidly for two years under the alias Skydion. And that was like the first time that I was like, yeah, I'm going to make beats. And I tried for a very long time and it, it went well. I dropped a CD. It was like nine, nine tracks. And it was like my first EP caravan to the Moonland, I believe is what it was called. And it was just hip hop beats, uh, because I couldn't really produce anything else. I didn't really know how to produce anything else besides hip hop. Cause that's what I grew up on was hip hop and a lot of metal. And so that's, that's where, if you listen to my music now, you'll hear a lot of the melodics from the metal music that I used to listen to. Um, but, but yeah, I produced for about a few years and under the name of Skydion. And then eventually I got to this shift where I was like, okay, I need to mature my sound a little bit, but I'm also like in this party phase. <laughs> so around, I think it was about 2015 to 2016, I, I got into this party phase where I was like, yeah, I want to make party music, trap music. And so I produced under this other alias MGBZ, which stood for machine gun buns, which is hilarious, but it's so dumb now. But that's where I started to get into like the heavier trap music um, and the, the heavier grooves, 808s, things like that. And then after that point, um, about five years into my production career is when I shifted to Rosie Bones, which is I actually go by a, another alias Rosie Bones on the weekends when I produce and uh, perform techno music. So I have like a whole techno side that I do. And I've been doing that ever since, uh, you know, five years ago. But then about a year and a half ago is when I had this insane shift in my production perspective of music. Um, so I was always about trying to release my music on record labels. Uh, I think that's one of the struggles that every artist, you know, has is, yo, like I got to get my music out there. I got to share my music. I got to find the best record label and release my music under the record label. And that was what I didn't realize at the time was one of the biggest uh, obstacles for me was to uh, get that acceptance from the world. I, I just needed it. And so from when I started producing up until a year and a half ago, that's all I cared about was producing something that somebody else would enjoy. I never really sat down and was like, yeah, this is just for me. And so one day I was chilling, um, I was editing photos. Um, and I literally had a thought when listening to an artist trashed, it's T-R-X-X, sorry, T-R-X-X, S-H-E-D, Trashed. And he is like a 19-year-old uh, producer, creates lo-fi beats. And this was like the first time that I listened to something so melodic, but unique. And uh, honestly, man, that was the, sh the shift in what I produce today. So I started producing lo-fi beats around then because I was sitting there editing photos and I was like, dude, what if I could create a flavor of music that I could just turn on when I'm chilling? Right. So why, why, why do I have to listen to somebody else's music? Why can't I listen to my own, but just for myself? And so that was like the first moment that I actually realized that, okay, maybe I can produce for myself. It wasn't fully, like I wasn't fully in it yet, but I understood that I wanted to produce something yeah. for myself, you know, just enjoy it for myself without anybody's 
you know, acceptance. And so I started producing a few tracks, two tracks, actually. So I did two singles and I released it. I thought it was like really epic. Uh, and it's the first two tracks on my Ex Machina uh, account. And after that point, I decided to create my first album in a long time because the previous album that I made was maybe like five years before that. And so when I finished this nine track album, and this is all within like maybe two months, I created this like eight to nine track album. And I sent it to a record label and I won't name names, but I sent it to a record label and I got like this weird response because it wasn't so much of like, hey, I'm submitting my music to you to submit for the label. It's like, hey, check out my stuff. I would like to collaborate and like work together, mm -hmm. you know, and it's uh, it was it was through a mutual friend that I got their contact and it was cool, but it was more so of a rejection and I Honestly, I give credit, a lot of credit to this moment as well, because when I got my album rejected, like there was like this moment that I spent in this weird depression phase. And it, this lasted for maybe like a week, two weeks. And I was like, so sad. I'm like, dude, what the heck? Nobody likes this sound. Nobody wants this. This is what I, I thought this was going to be the next thing for me. And it wasn't. And I got into this weird one week of like depression. I was like, dude, everything sucks. But then I was like, what if I just released it under my own label if I created one? And so at that point, that's what I was like, okay, I guess like I'll create one. And I did, I created Distant Ether. And so that's when I released my first album under Distant Ether. And I was like, okay, cool. You know what? I don't care about any other labels. I think that I'm going to stick with everything organic. And if other labels want to work with me, I'll you know, work with them. I'm not going to go and submit my stuff to get acceptance anymore. That was like the first moment I was like, all right, dude, you know what? I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to make my music and release it under my own alias. Mm. And so I started doing that. And dude, let me tell you. So after I released that first album, Equinox, I started my second album and it was uh, called A World Without. And damn, dude, I, I will have to say like, that was the moment where I was like, dude, dark lo-fi glitch is going to be a thing mm -hmm. because I started to merge bits of lo-fi that I enjoyed a lot, but also uh, a lot of glitch music that I listened to and started to merge some of the similar sounds in both genres just to create something different, fresh that I enjoyed. I didn't really care about anybody else enjoying it, to be honest. Like that was the last thing on my mind at that point because <laughs> I didn't care. I just wanted to do it for myself because it was eventually like, bro, I just want to turn this on, this playlist on and just edit my videos, edit my music, or edit my photos, whatever I want with my own music. And so at that point, I didn't even care anymore. And so now, ever since then, I've been just producing and releasing, self-releasing, and it's just been kind of catching wind ever since then. So mm -hmm. it's, and it's, it's, it's a, it was a long way here, I'll say, about 11 years into the making of this whole new alias and the sound, but it took 11 years of success and failure to realize this as well and i wouldn't take anything back for any of that amazing beautiful there's even stuff farther back that i still want to ask about too like uh first uh where are you from where'd you grow up uh and uh tell me about film school <laughs> okay yeah so i i'm actually from florida my family they're from bangladesh so it's a, a country that's south of india um and I was born in Florida. I lived there for about 10 years. That's where I started. Uh, when I was growing up in Florida, my biggest influences in music was uh, hip hop and metal music. I spent a lot of time in like dancing and trying to do b-boy stuff and play basketball. Like that was my childhood, uh, was pretty much just living like that Florida boy 
riding bikes, catching lizards, all of that shit, right? And then around 2011, I moved to Oklahoma, and that was uh, the first time that I experienced a chill state because Florida is kind of wild. I mean, you always hear <laughs> stuff about Florida all the time, and it's true because, uh, I mean, everything they say is pretty much true. Um, but when I got to Oklahoma, dude, it, everything was so chill. Everybody was chill. There was maybe... Um, there's not much to do really around that time in 2011 because everything was just growing, uh, new neighborhoods, things like that. Mm -hmm. But we moved here originally, uh, because my mom, she had cancer. And so we came here for, um, her to get treatment and it was easier for us to move here at that time. Um, just so we, our aunt can help us out and uh, go to school and things like that while she was taking care of her stuff. And so, yeah, so we were here ever since 2011. Um, and then I started to go to school here, which was sixth grade in 2006. That was pretty tight, by the way. Uh, everybody was really cool. I was like the chill brown kid in the class, right? Uh, everyone was cool with me. You know, I, I was, I, I, get, I wouldn't say I was a smart kid, but I definitely knew what my homework and my answers were. So everybody was cool with me. And so I never really had problems growing up here in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Now in Florida though, dude, like every time we would walk home, there'd be people pointing guns at you and sicking dogs on you. It's, it was crazy, man. We lived right next to the school, but it was just, the people over there sucked, man. Uh, at least where I lived. I mean, and not everybody's like that, obviously. And I have a lot of friends and family in Florida. Uh, so not dogging on anybody that lives there, but the people that I got to know and experienced life with when I was younger, man, they weren't, they weren't as cool as a lot of people here in Oklahoma are over here. Everyone's so much more open and, um, you know, nice. And so, yeah, I started to go to school. And then, um, in my high school years, that's when I went to film school mm -hmm. and I just wanted to create content. I think that was my biggest drive because growing up in that whole YouTube, yeah. uh, you know, the YouTube phase, yeah. uh, when everything was booming and everyone's trying to create content, you have YouTubers that you aspire to, you know, be like, and things like that. And I spent, my years before film school doing a lot of art stuff. And mm -hmm. so I don't know if you've ever done the reflections contest here, mm -hmm. but it, it's like these art contests and they have different categories like drawing, painting, uh, video, music, all of these categories. And I used to compete every year. My mom would be like, you got to do it. And so I would always do artistic things and try to compete and ended up winning like, you know, just a bunch of medals, trophies, things like that. And that was just our childhood, my mom wanted us to become competitive, but also exert our brain power to create, but also do big things. She wanted me to be a doctor, but that totally, <laughs> that did not happen. And uh, I'm glad because I can't handle seeing blood. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I went to uh, film school uh, in 2013 or 2011 to 2013. It was two years. And that was actually 2012 was when my mom passed. And so it was it was definitely the best years, but also not the best years. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that uh, my my teachers from film school were probably some of the best teachers that I've had because they were more personable um, and they taught us more life lessons than our actual, my actual teachers in the regular K through 12. Sure. Um, you know, granted, there were some pretty awesome teachers, but my film school teachers, they I mean, they knew everything. They even came to my mom's funeral, which was insane. Um, that was something that I didn't expect, but uh, that was amazing. And honestly, I remember them even to this day. Um, but, but yeah, like after the film school, 
I, I mean, I continue doing video and I still do video. I have a YouTube channel and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty constant when I'm, when I'm doing content though, I'm always like trying to do music stuff. Now, before I was doing like a bunch of, um, we were doing a bunch of films, short films is what it was. Mm-hmm. So yeah. obviously going to film school, we were trying to create the coolest films. Um, and I was into like the military stuff. We would always try to create military-esque mm-hmm. uh, films, you know, cause we were into airsoft and things like that. And that lasted for maybe two years after, but I stopped doing that because it just takes too much effort, too much time, too much people, resources. One of the things that actually jump-started me getting into music was I didn't have to rely on anybody. You know, I was in a band before with my best friend and it just took too much time to get together, practice, and then rely on somebody else. So I was like, dude, is there a way that I can just do all this myself? Mm. And same thing with when we were doing film, because I didn't want to rely on anybody else. So I started to create YouTube videos by myself, do the audio and everything by myself. And that kind of just grew into um, what I do today. But, you know, after that point, I went to obviously get into audio and I went to RRFC. It's like this online uh, audio school kind of thing or art school. And so I got like this two year audio engineering license that, um, essentially allowed me to tell my mom that or my parents, my dad and my stepmom at the time, like, uh, that, you know, I finished school, you know, and it's something. And that actually helped me get a pretty sick job, which I still work at today. But, uh, you know, it, it was, it was definitely a process and going through film school or audio engineering school, I got to, um, mentor at a few different studios here in Oklahoma city or uh, have a mentor. And I honestly just sat in the studio and pretty much watched them work. And I was, I will say that it was not as worth it as I thought it was going to be. Um, I even went to ACM, uh, for one semester and not dogging on ACM or anybody that went to ACM, but it was probably, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, um, it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think ACM and I think it should be known that ACM is more for the the live performing mm-hmm. uh, artists because they have the recording classes, they have the uh, the the Pro Tools classes, they have the DAW classes. But in all honesty, I fe- I feel like I learned more doing it myself than I would have in in the school and paying that price to go. It's nice if you can do it, but if it's like something that you're pulling loans for and, you know, putting yourself in a hole for, you can do better, in my opinion, if you, if you challenge yourself. Well, especially now with the University of YouTube, like, like you were talking about is like maybe some years ago, and, and I'm sorry, I like, I keep saying this on the podcast, but like maybe some years ago. I would have told people like, yeah, totally go to ACM uh, or totally go to college in general, actually. (laughs) And now it's like getting harder and harder to justify. It really is. And I mean, you, so in comparison, so there, there are some people that I know that went to ACM at the time, the same year that I went and uh, just comparing the production, you can hear the, the level of differences. And that's because when you're in the studio producing versus actually like trying to learn the concept and theory of music, because I still don't know music theory. I don't know how to read notes. I don't know how to read 
anything. I can read guitar tabs, or I used to know how to read, t- read mm-hmm. guitar tabs, but not anymore. But I literally don't even know how to play piano or anything, but the pr- music that I produce is still musical. Like it still sounds good. And that's just because I go by feeling now, yeah. uh, instead of going by measures or scales or I'd go by scales and chords, obviously, but everything is just more streamlined for me. Like I don't have to worry about reading music or all of the, all of the crazy classical stuff of music. Like I I just don't need to do that. I just enjoy producing. I just slap the keyboard, see what sounds good, you know, edit it, chop it up, whatever I do. It just makes it sound good. As long as you stay within key, you're good. You know? And uh, I feel like going to ACM the one semester that I did, it was more stressful. Um, and I couldn't get into my creative zone as, as easy. Like obviously it felt cool being there and then, you know, being in the hallways and producing and in the common area and stuff. And you have just legends around you. Right. And just being in that environment, it just felt amazing, especially for being in Oklahoma, the Midwest, like, come on, it's very hard to find something that's so cool. Uh, but it just wasn't for me. And, and I, and I knew that because I went into ACM with already like a year, um, with production experience. And so the things that we were learning the first semester, the, the eight grand that I paid for the first semester, I couldn't justify learning how to press a few keys and learning how to read a few notes for eight grand. Like I could just do that on YouTube. Right. And so I just dropped out. I was like, dude, I'm honestly good. And so I just dropped out of college, honestly, completely. And, um, and that was before actually I went to RRFC. Eventually I went back to RRFC instead and I finished there and that was a two year program. So that was nice. But yeah, in general, ACM, it, it's awesome, but you have to want to be a live performer in my opinion, because the teachers there um, are more geared towards that mm. reading music, things like that. So, um, okay. So then, uh, one going back, uh, I'm sorry for your loss by your brother. Um, and I'm like, I'm glad to hear that, like, she inspired you in all these ways to like be creative and every single thing that you do. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, let's go into then. Okay, sure. I'll just make sure the time. <laughs> um, what is a deep nitty gritty or advanced thing that is in your music that you're super proud of that people probably would like, wouldn't notice. So, okay. So one thing that, uh, in my music, so just production wise, right? Mm. So one of the things, and I actually talk about this in some of the videos on my YouTube, um, the sounds that you hear. So if you listen to any one of my tracks, uh, not from my first album, but anything after that, all of the intros, outros, even the breaks, you hear almost like this wind chime sound. Um, this, effect or this instrument was actually created and released in Ableton 11. Mm -hmm. So the sound that I produce now wouldn't have been possible without this instrument. And it's called tree tone. And I literally talk about this all the time because nobody freaking uses it. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Cause I'll use the hell out of it and I'll be the guy that uses it, uh, which is cool. But the amount of sounds that you can get. So Here's the crazy, crazy thing. So I listen to people's music that send, they send me music all the time, right? And I listen to it. And after learning how tree tone works and how complex you can make a transition sound, but beautiful, right? After listening to other people's music, I don't get excited anymore as often because 
my mind is looking for the simple but complex sounds, right? Because right now you'll have producers that will create, for example, like in lo-fi, you'll have somebody that creates a basic hip hop beat and then you'll have some chops and a vocal and then you'll have, um, you know, atmospheric sounds. But that's generic, right? So that's that's basic lo-fi. So how do you take that and then expand on it? That's how. That's what I always ask myself. So when somebody sends me a house track, how can you expand on the genre? If somebody sends me a lo-fi track, how can you expand on the genre? I don't want it to be the same as everything else. And when I started to learn about tools like Treetone or things that can um, create sounds for you uh, that that you're not in, entering. I forgot what the name of it was, but like generative, generative. There you go. There you go. Um, and so when you mess with generative sounds and instruments, you can truly go in places that you never would have experienced. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if you're using AI art generator, mm -hmm. but not really, but you're controlling it. And yeah. so you set parameters just like you would on a prompt. So what I do is I set on Treetone, I set a scale mm -hmm. and then I'll just create a bunch of sounds and then I'll clean it up. So that's step one. And then I do what's called simplicity and layers. So I'll take what I already created and then I'll do another effect over it. I'll re-record like another layer of sounds using that same wind chime. And then I take it one step further and then do a lot of audio panning. And so I take the same element and then I expand on it, but in layers. And honestly, if anyone does that, like if you listen to your own music and you ever ask yourself, why does it sound stagnant? Why does it sound boring, right? You have to find the balance between the loud parts and the quiet parts, the dynamics. That's the first thing, right? But then you also have to understand transitions and energy. So when you start to see music as energy, you can start to hear, okay, once this drop is coming, there's no energy into the drop. And now it's like a brick wall. Like, how can you make the stair step into the drop? So you have to ask yourself these questions when you're listening to music, your own music. And that's what I do. Sometimes I'll just put my headphones on, dude, and I'll sit there, read a book, but I'll have the track on repeat and I'll, it'll repeat like 20, 30 times. And every time it'll repeat, I'll think of that one thing that stands out to me and then I'll make the change. I won't go in. I'll keep on editing it. No, I don't do that. So I'll listen to the whole track over maybe two or three times. And then when I zone out for a second, but then something catches my attention that I don't like, I'll go and change it. That's how you know how to adjust your music. Because a lot of people will creatively try to change their music even after it's like 90% done, but then it becomes 40% done. Because now you've added so much layers that are unfinished, mm -hmm. right? So that's why you want to finish each layer at a time and go down the list. And that's how I do it. Like I'll start with the drums process those a little bit and then I'll get the basic synth or the pianos and then I'll go to the next part. I'll do the bass then I'll go to the next part. And once all of the track is somewhat finished in MIDI, I'll render everything to audio and then I'll go to step two, which is start to chop and then stretch and then do my glitch portion. Mm -hmm. That's step two. And then step three is when I start to do the drum processing. So I'll start to get the glitchy drums and that uh, very slow but not effect. Um, and the trippy effect. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then I'll start to do more effects processing. So I go down the list and I stick to that same process mm -hmm. every track. Because if you try really hard, you will never be able to produce the same track twice. Mm -hmm. 
right? Unless you have the same sounds, the same feeling that you're going for, the same chord structure, everything. Unless you were there at the same time, the same moment, feeling the same thing, you can maybe create the same track twice. Mm -hmm. But in general, even if you, let's just say, created something and then your computer exploded and you tried to create the same thing again, it will never be the same again. And so even if you use the same elements in your track, you will always create something different. So why not create the process that's the same and then just see how it sounds if you adjust one thing here and adjust one thing there. Cool. Eventually, you can create 200 tracks in like a month. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that's a bit much, 200. But I can do maybe 50 a year is what I say. 52 tracks. Um, so I don't know if you know an artist named Zoo. Um, he, he's, he's a really epic artist. And I think I read this a long time ago, and I've talked about this before. But he had this thing where uh, he called 52 to Zoo. This was before he was solidifying his sound for his project. But he said that he was going to create 52 tracks and then release after that. Mm-hmm. And so what he did in that in that time frame was create a body of work mm-hmm. that he can acclimate to and feel like okay this is his sound and then after that 50 second track he produced what he is today. And so I tell every artist dude create 52 tracks before you complain. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have 52 on your discography you have zero right to complain because mm-hmm. there are others out there that are making way more than that. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I love that. Um, last one on this front. Oh, I have probably two more. Uh, <laughs> how does your video knowledge affect your music production? So that great question. Um, so I actually do a lot of video now than I did in, in the time frame after my film school, but everything that I learned as far as like angles, lighting, because I did a lot of lighting. I was the director of photography for a lot of our short films too. So framing was like one of my biggest things because I also have a boudoir company on the side that I do uh, photography for, uh, for myself uh, or of models and things. But I've learned framing and editing and refine my skills through that medium as well. And so when I started my YouTube channel back up about a year and a few months ago, Um, it started off really crap because I was like, okay, yeah, it's lo-fi. So I'll make the shittiest video that I can think of. And so I'd use my iPhone and then I would record. And it was, it was stuff that I just threw up from my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And if you actually watch some of my first few live jam videos, it's on my iPhone. So you can see how terrible it was. And, um, honestly, after that, I've had my camera equipment for a long while before then I was like, dude, why not just make it? look good. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I just started to make it look good. And so um, what I do is I have my setup on my desk and I use the same angle, same lighting. Um, and I just create that aesthetic. I try to keep it uh, short of the BS. So no intro or outro of me talking or whatever. It's just straight music. And so now I have a playlist of over 57 live jams that you can watch from front to back and it's just music. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all of my discography, but played through my my analog setup. So I have the setup goes, I have my BeatStep Pro, which feeds into my SV1B, which then feeds into my Boss pedal, which then feeds into my 404A, which then feeds into my 404 or yeah, 404 Mark II. And then it, I record that. And so I process all of the audio through the all of those machines. And then I create the live edits. And so when you listen to the original song, but you can listen to the live edit and it's almost two different tracks. Mm -hmm. So now I have double the music and more content. So that was just kind of the way that I tried to break down all of my music. Um, and then my content 
was just to create a live edit of every song that I release. And so it gave me an initiative as well. So I would just produce one track a week, roughly, and then I would create a live jam for it. And then I would upload that. And so that was just what I did. And I, I try to stay consistent with it, but sometimes it gets difficult because I travel for work most of the time. And so whenever I do get a chance, like tomorrow I have one coming out. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. Uh, it feels nice having that kind of initiative, just like doing a podcast, which I also have a podcast too. Uh, so that that's just, we talk about music and it's actually more so of perspective um, on how you can really shift your mind from a beginner producer to more of a um, producer for yourself. Mm. Awesome. We have so much to talk about. Yes. But <laughs> I need to get into the questions that make bit depth, bit depth. So what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? So this is a great question, actually. I spent some time thinking about this because uh, my my history with religion is great. Um, I'm not so much religious now, and I'll get into that here in a second, uh, but I come from an Islamic household, mm -hmm. and we practiced uh, rigorous, rigorously since I was a kid. And so reading the Quran, praying five times a day, fasting. Um, I even went to a pilgrimage twice and that was a pretty insane experience. I mean, in a good way, but also there were things that really helped me realize where I aligned in this world of religion and growing up and learning all of the teachings about Islam was beautiful. Honestly, uh, the teachings that they teach you about loving your neighbors and things that felt good. And that, those are the things that I still abide by today. And so that's why I feel like I try to be the best person to me and the people around me. Um, and I firmly believe that. But now as far as believing and praying and things of, uh, like that, I practiced Islam all the way up until my mom passed because she was the catalyst as far as getting us up to speed and practiced on all of that. Cause that's something that she did quite often. She was more so of like a, um, a religious figure in our community. Mm -hmm. And so anytime that any of the, uh, the, the women had questions or even the younger people, they would go to my mom and console. And so she was that person. And so us being her kids, like she, she obviously expected us to mm -hmm. have a level of standard. And so that was us growing up. And so it was very strict, I'll say. And I don't regret it because I learned a lot, obviously. And it was, again, really nice teachings. But when I went to my pilgrimage for the first time overseas, so to the Middle East, I went to Mecca. And th the thing that I experienced there, the, the polarity in the people that prayed and went for forgiveness, and then also seeing people suffering literally in the same vicinity was mind-boggling, honestly. And I mean, even even being there and walking around the Kaaba, I watch people die, getting trampled mm -hmm. and all in the name of forgiveness. And to me, it was it was a very interesting paradox that I experienced um, because I was I was still new to that experience of being there and experiencing religion at its peak. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was, it just didn't sit well with me. Um, and again, nothing wrong with people believing and um, doing what they had to do and things. Um, but for me though, it just felt so odd that it was accepted and it was so normal. Mm -hmm. Um, even for people to be so rude to just 
the regular person that's there. You would think that in this holy city that people are a little nicer to each other, mm. but they're even more rude. <laughs> and I was like, dude, what? Mm. And so, um, so yeah, so like to me, it just felt like there was a very big disconnect in what people believed and taught each other versus what they practiced. Um, and so that very large gap was my first, uh, first moment. I was like, eh, I don't know if like, I'm really about it because I was at that time, I was also very, um, very avid in learning about science and, you know, the world and where we came from and things like that. But also I was very religious because my mom. And so to me, there was both sides. Mm -hmm. Right. But eventually I, it just, I, it was hard for me to practice and believe in it a hundred percent. Um, and so I now believe in the teachings of like what we, how we treat each other, but then also I, believe more so of science and where we came from and things like that. So, mm. but yeah, I still respect every person that believes in anything, you know, and practices. Cause that's honestly very, if you practice what they teach properly, it is a beautiful thing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. In this instance, specifically though, uh, apostasy in Islam is, uh, difficult. Um, <laughs> uh, how has, that uh, and I'm not necessarily even saying that what you are now is necessarily even apostasy because uh, I don't know how you would describe it, but like I imagine it's challenging in so, your community. Yeah. So where I what I do today and everything that I do now is almost against what Islam believes, right? So producing music, doing uh, bedouar photography, mm -hmm. even just experiencing media and content and creating it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the clothes that I wear, the graphics that are on my shirts and the tattoos that I have on my body. Mm -hmm. That was a big thing. Sure. Like, like, I mean, I covered my tattoos for maybe like two years. Nobody, like even now, like a lot of people in my community don't know that I have tats, <laughs> you know, but I've got sleeves and stuff. So it's just, it was very different. Um, and there, there was a point in time where I obviously was like, okay, I think I'm going to exit the community and like do my own thing. But eventually I came to realize that there will be always be people that don't really accept you, uh, even your own family, which is fine. But in the end, people still either care about you or are keeping tabs on you. So you're, you're living rent free in everyone's mind. So it's okay. So do your thing. And that was another thing is like when I was growing up, in our community, people wanted you to be a doctor, an engineer or whatever. Right. And they tell all the kids that. And so when I became what I did now, producer that travels, you know, does my thing, have tats, like I do art, photography, all of that, things that people wouldn't recommend their Islamic child to do, you know, I do. But then every time now I go to a function, every parent is telling their kids to talk to me and get advice. And I'm like, dude, what? It's so hypocritical, but it's so weird. But I realized after that point that nobody really cares about what you do. It's more so of, do you care mm -hmm. about what they think about you? Cause if you do, then you're doing it wrong, mm. you know? And I, and it took me a long time to realize that. But when, once I got to that point, I mean, it was off to the races. I feel yeah. so good. And everybody accepted me for the way that I am. Cause no one can change you. Mm -hmm. You know, you can change yourself. People can influence you, but it's up to you to change. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, what is your definition of God? So it, it changed over years. So what it was before was a holy being that had created the universe. Um, it, it maybe not even holy, but a um, higher power, let's just say someone that might be smarter, kind of like how AI is to 
our world now, you know, it's creating things, right? So there might have been like a higher power at the time that created the universe. And that's what I thought before. But now my meaning of God is like the person itself is the God of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So a person governs their future. Like, obviously you'll have the external influence, but in the end, everything, the, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you are to others, like you are in control of your own destiny. Like I am different to you compared to somebody else. Like you, you're technically 8 billion different people mm -hmm. because somebody's perspective of you is slightly different from the next. Mm -hmm. And so you're not technically the same person to anybody. And so you're technically all over the world, everywhere at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I personally think that you are your own God. I don't say that I'm God. Obviously, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a, a speck in this universe that is trying to leave something behind. That's why I produce music. I want to leave something behind that people can enjoy for longer than when I'm not here. Yeah. But I, I don't think that there is another being out there that is governing us because I also think that's mildly selfish. And, and, and the reason why I think that is because, for example, when I was, uh, when I was on my pilgrimage, watching people die, getting trampled, uh, you could technically blame God for that. Right. Mm -hmm. But what if he had nothing to do with it? Mm -hmm. And so, so there, there's a very, very odd way of thinking, like where, um, in my opinion, where, everything that occurs is due to a higher power. It, it's almost as if you're putting the, um, the belief and the energy in something else and not taking any of the um, action or the blame for anything that's happening. And so I personally believe that everyone is in control of their own situation. And obviously you have your external influence, but if you get knocked down, it's your job to try to get back up, you know, and that, that is the whole game in my opinion. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that everyone is their own. Mm. I feel like that uh, feeds really well into the question that follows that, which is what is free will? Free will. In the end, there is no free will. That's what I think. Um, just because you're always going to be governed by something, mm. uh, whether it be government, whether it be your spouse, <laughs> whether it be your kids and their needs, there's always something that will govern you. Mm. Uh, in the end, there is never free will, rather responsibility. Mm. And I think that everyone has a responsibility uh, to do something. And even if that's creating and finding your muse, finding your passion, everyone needs to do it. Like that is, that is the legwork that every person needs to do and everyone governs it for themselves. You know, in the end of the day. It's the first time I've heard that approach. I really like that. That's awesome. <laughs> what do you think happens when we die? Well, I, I would hope that I could float around in the ether mm -hmm. and kind of enjoy the unexplored parts of the universe. That's one thing that I always wished if I died, that would be the coolest thing is to be able to travel faster than light speed and explore the different universes and just to be a ghost or a fly on the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that would, that'd be amazing. Honestly, that that's what I would hope <laughs> it would be. Either that or it's just complete blackness, you know, one of the two, but I would like to believe the latter, you know? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> How do you determine what good behavior is? 
So good behavior, in my opinion, is if you are not affecting anyone in a negative way around you or yourself. Being on good behavior could mean a lot of things to different people, Mm -hmm. I'll say. But as long as you are not deterring anyone from uh, bettering themselves or holding anyone back or causing any sort of harm, I think you're good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How did you get there? I mean, like we talked about your journey through religion and then after that. And so, uh, yeah, how'd you get there? So I had a a pretty crazy fallout, fallout, I would say, after my mom passed. So in 2012, um, that's when I started to do the whole music thing and just went for it. Mm -hmm. And this was in the time frame where I didn't have my mom, which was like essentially my regulator. (laughs) I became the teenager that ended up partying too hard. And I used to go to like every show, club, festival, you know, and just party all the time and not be in the right state of mind all the time. And one year I went to a festival, Electric Forest. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not, but it's a pretty major festival every year it happens. And one of the years I decided to party a little too hard, like hangover style. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, ended up in the hospital and it was pretty scary waking up with a catheter in my body and uh, being tied to a, a bed. Um, that was insane. But uh, when I woke up, I think that was the moment that I chilled the heck out. <laughs> I really did. I went from partying every like twice a weekend to maybe like once every four months. I would go out and do whatever. But that was the moment where I took producing seriously because I was like, man, if I did die what would I have left behind? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what drove me to the point I am now. Um, now that I've, I'm proud of what I can create and can leave stuff behind, I leave it behind for myself now. Uh, before I tried to leave it behind for others. But now I just, I, I mean, for myself, I create cassette tapes and I listen to my own tapes, dude. Like, it's so weird, but I just enjoy being in my own world, in my own craft. And yeah. so- Everything, like even my album art is stuff that I do. Even my graphics, my videos, I have it always on. Like my room has artwork and stuff that I do. Like I enjoy just being around what I create because to me, that's power. Yeah. Right. That's being your own God, like creating your own universe. Like if, if there was a higher power, this is his art. Mm-hmm. Like you don't produce a track and then always reminisce in the track mm-hmm. in, in in the production. Like once it's done, it's done. You go to the next one. This universe could be like that. This could be like something that he created and left. Mm-hmm. And it's just art. Now it he just watches it play out. Mm-hmm. So blaming somebody for something or trying to always seek the higher power might be selfish, you know. And that's why I always decided like I'm gonna create stuff for myself, be in my own world, try to create my own world. And if people would like to enjoy it, they're more than welcome. Yeah. Or to quote Death Grips, I am the beast I worship. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How do we reduce the division between people? The division of like maybe like between like people because of friction or or what do you mean? Whatever way that you would like to uh, interpret the question. Okay. Because of... Uh, we live in America. So like people usually take the political context of that, but not necessarily. So I think to, I mean, in general, I think people can drop barriers if they were to enjoy 
the creative arts a bit better. Uh, I think that that's what helped me understand others better. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in that environment where I was just surrounded by people, like a festival, for example, to me, that was the moment where it felt like there was no barrier. There was no border between me or the person next to me. It felt like one amazing family. And that was because we are somewhere that had music that people enjoyed that didn't have, you know, the law (laughs) gripping down on their neck. Mm -hmm. But that was the moment. And I think personally, the art, every time you go to like a museum or something, everyone is experiencing, they're reacting to creations. And I think that is a better way to react than people reacting to each other. Uh, So just creating and being engulfed in that world, I feel like people can get closer together. Yeah. Um, I'm noticing this juxtaposition with how you... I guess, uh, hold yourself as an individual and in some ways like highly, uh, focus on yourself as an individual and yet still the outer philosophy remains that you're like, yes, let's be connected with each other. How are you balancing the two? So one of the, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Mm -hmm. he said this amazing thing this one time, um, in this podcast of his, uh, he, he said, you have to learn how to be selfish, but also selfless at the same time. And that honestly struck a chord with me because it makes sense. There was a point in time where all I did was give, but I never got anywhere. Right. And I put myself in the community, try to be at every single show, try to support every single person. But in the end, it only got me so far because I never looked inwards. I always wondered why am I not getting this or that or doing this or that? I was looking outwards always, but never inwards. And so when I finally was like, okay, I need to be a little bit more selfish. I need to focus on myself a little bit more and just find out who I am. Once I did that, I was able to give what I became to other people. Because when I was trying to give myself um, to people, when I was creating and learning up to the point that I am now, I wasn't all there uh, as far as what I wanted to be production-wise, skill-wise. I was just essentially just trying to give out whatever knowledge I can or could, but it was never something worthwhile because I didn't realize what my sound was. I didn't realize what my direction was, what I wanted to be, where I wanted to be. It was just kind of up in the air. Um, so yeah, after that point, you know, I just, I really just decided that, okay, I need to focus on making the best music for myself. And then I will teach others how to achieve that same point. And that process in itself taught me so many lessons. And I talk about it in my podcast, um, Low Fidelity Dreams. I talk about how I got to the point of not being there and the point of becoming selfish, but selfless, but also taking that perspective and changing it. Um, you know, it, it's music is crazy. Music is amazing. Uh, and the artists that you meet are amazing, right? Everyone thinks differently. 
you have to learn how to take your formula and my formula and create something that never existed. Mm -hmm. I think that is how you expand on music. That's how you create genres, bend genres, break genres, right? You have a certain formula that you know because you're an experienced artist. I have a formula that I know. And if we can combine our formulas, our ingredients and create something that's different, and then give the world something that never existed before. Why wouldn't we do that? And that's one thing that like whenever an artist hits me up and I like the way that they produce, I won't be like, oh yeah, amazing. Just send me another track. If I like it, I'll put it on the label. I'm like, no dude, I like that. Send me the stems. If you're down with it, let's do a collaboration. And then you'll see what my sound is about. And if that's the direction that you enjoy, we can do another one. Like to me, opening that platform for artists that are interested is such a greater tool than just blocking people and be like, nah, sorry, I don't like it. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it gives you room to grow and gives them room to grow. And then it builds that wave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that also takes a lot of time though. It does. <laughs> it does. It took me 11 years to get to this point. And I, I tell my, I tell myself that I just started, mm. you know, the, the game has just started. Like the, the first 10 years was the tutorial phase. I didn't know anything. And now that I know something, I know how I can align myself and the direction that I'm headed. I know which way I want to go. And that took me 10 years to get to that point. So yeah, it does take a lot of time, but it's worth it though. And it's worth it. And, and I honestly think that you have to fail enough times to get to the point that I am. Like you have to be willing to fail. Like if you want success, if you want that one successful track, you have to tell yourself that you have to fail 100 times before you get there. Mm. There's no other way around it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you believe humans are evil by nature? I, I believe that humans are humans. Um, I, I believe that people will do anything to get what they need and to fulfill what they desire. Uh, sometimes it won't be as straightforward. Some, some people will always, it, it's like, it's like wordsmithing. Like you, you get into a conversation and you know that you want some sort of information out of it and you're going to try to direct the conversation that way. Right. Everyone is like that. And so even, even the nicest person, if they want something, they'll slowly direct the conversation that way, whether it be in a nice way or not. And everyone will want to get what they want. And so even for me, like I want what I want for sure. But it's up to the person to decide, are they willing to harm another person to get it or not? That is the fine line between somebody that is good and somebody that is careless. Mm. Uh, and obviously the, the careless person can become evil or bad with multiple decisions. But obviously I wouldn't say that one decision makes somebody bad or evil. Rather, if somebody has the intention of harming somebody else to achieve something that is not something that they were able to achieve on their own, mm. then I think that, yes, that would be something with evil intentions. Mm. <laughs> Thank you for always like, you're, you're knocking these out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think humanity is heading towards in the future? Fully automated. I mean, as far as creativity goes, that will be something that's obviously, um, it's already being done. You have AI art, uh, even with music, there's AI generating art. But I also, uh, think, I think that 
in the future, everything will be easier as far as life goes. You, you will have information like you do at your fingertips, but now at your eye tips, you know, at the end of this year, they're probably going to announce some crazy vision goggles or something that you can put on your face and you'll have Facebook on your eyeballs. Right. And so things get easier. Life will get easier, but creativity still takes effort, but creativity also still takes experience. And one thing that the future does not, or the AI and robots don't have is that experience that they can relate to, uh, because they're just being fed information. They can only create what they believe is what the prompt says. And so it doesn't have emotion or feeling behind it. And so when I produce music now, for example, I feel, I don't even look, sometimes I don't even look at the keys. I just play and I just feel, I go based on energy. Like we mentioned before, I'll try to see what makes me feel good. What makes me not feel good. And I will adjust accordingly. A robot couldn't do that because it couldn't feel mm -hmm. right. So it just knows that this is the chord. This is the scale. This is what it's supposed to be. And this is what people have done before. So let's randomize it. Yeah. Right. That's what they're doing. What we're taking emotion. I'm taking my, my day, my week, my life, the people around me, I'm taking those experiences, what I've listened to that day, what inspires me. And then I create and so I still, th I think that the future robots will, and AI will take a good portion over of the menial tasks that we do. Um, but when it comes to creativity, there will still be a need for certain art forms. Not all because the AI art nowadays is kind of crazy. It's, it's insane. Um, uh, but some of it doesn't have soul and you can tell. Yeah. Well, and any soul that is there is really just someone else's exactly <laughs> just redone and and a lot of people can argue that that's what music is because we take influences from th the music that we enjoy and that's then, absolutely what it is yeah <laughs> and we and we create something but i think the biggest difference is the interpretation um at a moment's uh you know, like, um, like every moment that you spend listening to anything or experiencing something, your emotions are changing. It's constant, right? And a robot, it's pretty much the same, I would assume. Um, maybe in the future, it'll be different. And I'm sure it'll get even harder to tell the difference between a AI generated track versus somebody that produced it. But that's also why I believe that people can take it one step further, utilize that technology to create something for yourself which is like generative music, use those tools to create something that never existed before. And that's why it blows my mind when people send me generic beats or things that don't have complexity to it, that don't have things that change. You know, if, if your track sounds dead, if it doesn't breathe, then it's not alive, mm. right? And the easiest way, and we can get into production if you want later, but the easiest way is automate, 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 right? You obviously automate everything in your finger, uh, your fingertips and you'll make your track breathe. You know, there's, there's so many things you could do to make your music sound way better than some of the stuff that comes out like from the AI stuff, obviously from other artists, like you can create some amazing stuff with generative tools. You just have to know how to use it. Yeah. You know, but that's the future in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are you optimistic about for our future? I am optimistic about mainly I've been really optimistic about just Oklahoma in general, um, to start because where it was at two in 2006, when I first moved here to now is 
so different. Like, again, like how we, how we mentioned, like about the art here in the city, it's, it's growing at a rapid rate and just being here is awesome. Uh, the future of the city is what I enjoy. Um, and just trying to build. And so I try to throw events, uh, on the weekends and things for music, our shows I try to be a part of, uh, just to be in the community as much as I can whenever I'm here to see, the future of this city grow because um, even even for my uh, record label I I market it as like the, an Oklahoma City label obviously because I live here but I also market the sound from Oklahoma City so dark lo-fi glitch uh, I mean a lot you can you can call it many things glitch hop or whatever but this certain style of music that I make it sounds so similar and I wanted to make it sound similar because of the process and streamlining it and all that obviously but when people listen to my music, they'll know that it's from a certain body of work. They'll know my style. And if I can saturate the market enough, then I can create my own little world and I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been just trying to build the sound in general as like an Oklahoma city sound mm -hmm. and just go from there. Cause you have like the Memphis sound or the East coast, the West coast, you know, you have the Chicago sound, like it, it goes deep, especially with house music. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, that's where I, I come from. Like, as far as like electronic music, I did everything in the house scene and that's what I did for the longest time. And there's just so many genres from different parts of just the United States. Yeah. It's crazy. And so I'm like, okay, why can't I just create my own like little space mm -hmm. in lo-fi beats? And that's what I did. And dude, it's been so fun. It's been yeah. so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you content? So this is actually a very great question because if you asked me this a year ago, it would have been like selling tickets to my show <laughs> would have been the answer, right? You're seeing the, the, the dollars roll in, <laughs> but I read this book, uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And mm -hmm. it's totally worth reading Mark Manson. And that book shifted the way that I thought I went from wanting to be successful and sell out stadiums to changing my goal of happiness to something more tangible. And that goal was to produce one track a week. If I can do that, I will say that I'm happy. Yeah. And I did. And I literally produced one track every week. So at the end of this last year, I produced over 50 tracks. So it was a little bit over one a week and I've never felt better. Like it was insane when I stopped caring about all the stuff that I couldn't control and then just thought about what I could, what was at my fingertips. I could produce a track a week. I could produce one a day if I wanted, mm -hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, if I made one a week, I would be content because that's 52 at the end of the year. That's more music than anybody needs to hear, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> or wants to in general. But if I did that, I would be good. And I've been doing that. And sometimes I'll take a break one week and I'll like spend like two weeks on a track if I wanted and take my time. I've been trying to slow down and just enjoy the moment more because I've gotten to the point where I'm content with where I'm at. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, I like my job. I like what I do. I like the people around me, you know, and I like the music that I produce. Like I, I couldn't ask for more. And if I did, that would be asking for too much. Mm. And so what I do is I just leave it at one track a week. And if I can get to that point, I'm good. If not, then I'm like, okay, it's whatever. We're cool. We'll do it next week. Yeah. But that's my happiness now. Awesome. <laughs> when will you be satisfied? I've been cool. I've been, I've been honestly, when I listen to my own music, 
that's when the satisfaction rolls in. If I can turn on SoundCloud, Spotify or whatever and listen to my music, I'm content because that's what I started it for. And it took me again, it took me a while to realize that even after I started it, I had that moment where I was like, yeah, I still want to, you know, sell out shows and like, you know, have people listen to it. But when I really stopped caring and just did it to enjoy it for myself, I've been content ever since then. Like there's like now I offer people free lessons sometimes. I'm like, dude, just come over. Let's just hang out and I'll show you how to do it because I want more people to be exposed to it. I created a sample pack of just one gigabytes of sounds of the style that I produce and I've been giving it away for free. Mm. You know, I've been just giving it to people. I'm like, dude, just try it out. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just because I want to get it out there. I enjoy what I do and I feel like I found something that s- sounds decent and I want people to understand that it's cool too and see what they can do with it. It's almost like you putting up your ingredients list or your formula and then yeah. giving it, making it public, you know, and then seeing what people can do with it. Mm. And I think, I think that's what's more exciting now to me. Yeah. What advice do you have for people in general? Not even necessarily musicians or anything, but just people. And I'm sure everyone's heard this, but try to find your passion. One thing that my mom told me before she passed was spread yourself out like an octopus. Throw your arms at at everything that you can think of. Find what you enjoy, but don't fall in the middle. So the biggest thing is try out what you like or don't like for maybe a week, two weeks. See if you like it. For me, it took almost a year or two years to actually enjoy producing music. But it was being in that environment of going to the shows and watching people that kept that energy going. And so people have to surround themselves first with what they want to become. So if you want to become a graphic designer, surround yourself with people that can do it and become their mentee, right? Try to absorb any sort of knowledge that you can and give, 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 like offer yourself and your services to anybody so you have the ability to learn. Like I tell people that let me mix and master your stuff for free so I can get better at mixing and mastering. And that's what I did. So in 2022, my goal was to get better at mix, mixing and mastering. And I I did over like 40 free masters, mix and masters. And I did that all as a learning experiment. And I learned so much. Now my music sounds way better. Yeah. You know, you have to learn to give before you even think about receiving. Yeah. So. Awesome. Uh. I have two more questions for you. One, earlier you had mentioned that like whenever people are discussing with each other that like someone's trying to get something out of it, do you feel like you have gotten what you wanted out of this conversation so far? So far, I mean, I I think so. Um, And and the reason why I say that is because you have to also remember, you have to learn to be selfless but selfish at the same time. And people that are only selfless you would see me as a pushover right you'd be like ah, yeah this guy he, he he's not shit right because because he, he you you're just so submissive in a conversation it's not engaging right there's there's no engagement in that uh there's no friction in that and so so yeah i mean i think that it's only right that you lead the conversation a certain way because that's how you get a fluid conversation, right? That's how you get to a subject and talk about that subject and then expand from that moment. But if, you know, you guys just don't have anywhere to go, you're like doing small talk, the conversation's never going to get anywhere. You you would never feel anything about me or anybody else. You'd be like, "Yeah, this guy's boring." 
right? And so I, I feel like every person should have the intention of leading the conversation in a way. But what we mentioned before is if you lead it in a negative way, that's more of an evil intention, mm. right? So you want to be good about that. You want to lead it towards a better way, a good way. You know, and I've been learning that myself. Uh, I mean, before, like a few years ago, I was a terrible person to talk to. I mean, I, I all I cared about was my own my own things and myself, and I was more selfish than selfless. And when I finally learned the balance between both, it helped me become a better person, but also expand myself uh, to greater heights. Yeah. Lastly, potentially most importantly. Cake or pie? Man, we have to go with pie for sure. Cake, too much, too much sugar. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the pie that came to mind? Honestly, peach, peach cobbler is dank. Also, pumpkin pie is my favorite. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ex Machina, thank you for doing this with me. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's it's always nice to be able to talk about this because it's so fresh. Right. Uh, one of the things that I told myself for 2023 is to find ways to give more so people can understand what it's about. Because if you put a paywall behind everything, no one's going to ever want to pay because no one knows about it. And so if you can give more, give yourself more as much as you can, you will get a better return out of it. And so I try to go out of my way to make sure that I can educate people on anything. Like even when I do live shows and people walk up, like ask me what what I do, you know, like when we had that conversation at our show, you know, to me, that's so exciting because when you build a scene, when you try to build something, you want to expose people to what it's about yeah. and you want to get people excited about it. And that's, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been wanting to do for a long time, but just didn't realize it. But now I enjoy it. Like teaching classes, doing seminars and trying to give people the knowledge even for free when I can, is just a liberating feeling. Where can people find you and your things? Uh, you can find all of my stuff at my website, distantether.com, or you can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, pretty much all the streaming sites. But check me out on YouTube. I have all kinds of content on there as far as breakdown videos of all of the tracks that I've released so far. I have live jam videos. I've got uh, breakdown videos of my setup, also how I create cassette tapes. So there's just all kinds of stuff. Even my podcast episodes are uploaded on my YouTube channel, uh, Low Fidelity Dreams. So just check out Ex Machina, E-X-M-A-X. H-I-N-A on pretty much Google or anywhere and you will find me. So let me know what you guys think about that sound for real. Awesome. What track is about to play at the end of this? So my newest track that just came out today is uh, Icy Waves and I dropped a track called Cybernetic Ensemble and it is released on Tsunami Sounds. So shout out. Uh, amazing track. And uh, one thing I will say, uh, this is probably one of my favorite tracks or collabs so far, uh, but there are tons of tracks already on my Spotify that you need to check out. Like literally you can go down the playlist if you want, but I have over 50, 57 tracks available right now, just dropped in the last year and a half. And if you just start from the first and then listen to the most recent, you will hear the progression in every track because every track that I create is produced like the week after or, or released the week after. So you can hear the progression literally from track one all the way to the most recent. So I highly recommend anybody that wants to learn to reach out to me if they want. But really, though, just expose yourself to the sound because it literally it's it's brain food. <laughs> it feels good. So enjoy it. Sweet.
Uh, yeah. Once again, thank you so much. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Ex Machina. Thank you. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I make. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album. So if you'd like to hear that at some point, I'm so close, I promise. 
There are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to these things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you listen there. It means a lot to me to hear what you have to say about it, and you're helping me without having to spend a single cent on me. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I was in the podcast with my three things. They shaped my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. 